welcome to Beneath the Subsurface, a podcast that explores the intersection of geoscience and technology. From the Software Development Department here at TGS, I'm your host, Erica Conadera. This episode, we're focusing on Latin America and how the recent Spectrum acquisition has enriched and expanded TGS's data library. As you'll hear, Spectrum brings not only a strategic library of seismic data, but also a team of proven and qualified experts in Latin America. We'll explore the hottest regions in the South Atlantic margin, as well as the bidding climate in Brazil and the path forward for data and technology investments. I'm really excited today to be in the studio with Richie Miller. He ran things in Latin America uh, for Spectrum and David Hajofsky, our VP of Latin America. Um, so we're here today to talk about um, how the Spectrum acquisition is adding value to our library of data in um, the Latin America region. So to start off, um, Latin America is a huge region. There's plenty of geographic diversity there. Um, what are some of the hallmarks of the industry in this region? Yeah, well, I think uh, first off, I guess, thanks for, for having us on here. It's, it's a pleasure to sit here and kind of talk about something that I know Richie and I have both been working on for, uh, for a number of years now. I think for me, when I look at Latin America, uh, one of the big pieces is the kind of geopolitical ups and downs. Uh, you see where markets open, markets close, and it makes it uh, complicating and inter interesting when it comes to trying to find the right way to invest there. I think a good example of that is Mexico. Uh, it's a market that had been closed off to foreign investment for over 70 years. And during the energy reform, it opened up, and you had a lot of uh, multi-client activity, both from uh, Spectrum and TGS. And now, under the new administration, you're seeing things take a turn in the other direction. So uh, it's, it's interesting to kind of see how these things evolve and go and, and how it uh, makes us manage and, and be very uh, insightful about our business and how we make our decisions. Yeah, and I think we're still real positive on Mexico. It's, uh, it's a, a huge footprint, and uh, uh, the government's indicating they, over the next couple of years, they may move forward again uh, like industry wants. It's uh, a great opportunity there, and, and we're, we have a great position. Yeah, and I think when you look in, in Mexico as an example on that, we're still seeing, despite some of the political rhetoric when, when the more nationalist government gets in office, the exploration uh, that's currently moving forward is still moving forward. You're still having seismic shot. You're still having wells get drilled. So that momentum is still carrying through. And, and that's the thing about our business. It's, it's a long-term business. So everything there, uh, we typically ride out all political cycles. Uh, so it's just a matter of timing on how that happens. Yeah, and it's even longer for, the, um, for our customers uh, in the ENP world. They, they look at, at, at uh, decades uh, where we seem to be tied into a four- to six-, eight-year cycle. Uh, similar to Argentina, I mean, in Mexico, we have an election coming up in Argentina. Uh, but you talk to the, our customers, there's not a big concern. Uh, we we'll, may see a government flip there, uh, but it's long-term. We're positioned for it, and uh, I think it'll work out just fine. Yeah, I think that brings up, uh, I mean, we were both down in, in Buenos Aires uh, for the AAPG International Conference. Uh, it's a conference of petroleum geologists. And certainly, I would think we both agree the, the views and the rhetoric coming from all the oil companies there who are our clients was very favorable, very positive on kind of longer-term investment outlook. So this makes us feel optimistic about the, the region and, and just the business in general. Yeah, that's and 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 companies like Shell and Chevron, et cetera, they've been uh, in country uh, for quite a long time. When there was a 
a different government in place and different price controls. Uh, they're the same companies that came in and, and picked up blocks offshore, not Chevron, but uh, Shell was, was pretty aggressive. Yeah. What do you see happening with round two in Argentina? Uh, round two is, is pretty exciting. So we, we have an election coming up. Um, first election is actually late October. Uh, the way that's going to work, if no one gets a majority, then there'll be a runoff in November. Uh, we understand from the government that they're going to announce this round uh, the first week in November uh, to, to open up in April and close in October. Uh, that works out real well for us because it, it hits this budget year cycle for our customers that are they're looking for some end-of-year deals. Uh, we've had the data that will be ready in, in February uh, that's going to be in, in the Colorado Basin that will be on that round. Um, after the first round, we've seen more interest from, from industry uh, that have come in and, and picked up some data. Uh, we, even with the, the uncertainty in the election, we think round two is going to be a bigger, a bigger deal than round one, which was obviously a, uh, a huge deal for, for the uh, Argentinian government. I think it's one of the things that uh, it's an observation we have that on that initial round, a lot of the players that end up participating are companies that have some sort of presence in Argentina already. You have a few new players that come in from the international space, um, but once you get that hub and you have some of that acreage, it makes the, the investment point that much lower. So as you move into round two, companies that already have an established position are able to be more aggressive as they go forward. And because of the success of round one, we're also introducing more uh, international applicants coming in to to attract it. So it kind of builds up on itself, builds the scale that we need. And I think that kind of goes to a lot of the rationale behind the, the merger between Spectrum and TGS is uh, prior to this, TGS would not have had the same type of conversations or the same position, but Spectrum's done a fantastic job of understanding the the above ground environment and understanding the below ground potential and moving on that and allowing us to to now work together and, and try to build a, a better position. What the ministry's indicated is they've put sectors out uh, that cover the Colorado Basin, the deep water area of uh, southern area of Argentina, as well as the ultra deep of the northern and, and southern parts of Argentina. So they've asked for the uh, E&P business or industry to nominate specific areas. And the real positive thing for TGS is we've got that area completely covered with new data. It's really the only data that's out there to, to help with this round, assist in this round. So um, they've also asked us to do some of our G&G work and, and nominate areas based on what we think is perspective. The good thing about our business is, is everybody has a different idea on prospectivity, and, and that's why we see... Uh, different companies bidding on different areas, and that, that works well for us. So looking at other countries in the region, certainly Brazil has had a lot of activity, but what other countries do you guys have eyes on right now? Um, well, I mean, a uh, big piece of the market for, for both Brazil, I mean, for TGS and Spectrum was, was Brazil, uh, Argentina, uh, Mexico. These are the big kind of established markets where you have a lot of investment already from our client side. Uh, kind of justifies us being there in that way. We're always looking and screening uh, all the other potentials that could be there. Um, you can go down the list. I mean, what we're seeing right now offshore Guyana, where Exxon and now Tullo have had just a string of discoveries. It's really opening up new ideas and play concepts, not just for Guyana, but along the entirety of the margin. And so I think that's those are things that we watch out for in, from a business development point of view and try to understand 
how can that concept be uh, be an analog somewhere else that we're maybe not currently working or are currently working and trying to build up a new narrative to, to attract industry? Yeah, there's, uh, I think Apache's just spudding a well in Suriname that's right next door, so hopefully that will, will, will lead to more success for that, that basin. Um, there is a data footprint with the companies for TGS and Barbados and Trinidad, and we understand BHP is moving forward with uh, a potential well in, in Barbados. Uh, that's not been confirmed yet, but that's that's positive. A different play type, but there's always the the thought that maybe the the Cretaceous um, Wonder Basin underneath Guyana extends underneath Trinidad and and Barbados. So there's uh, a lot of activity and and looking around in that in that region right now. It's pretty active. And when you say, I mean, that's that's uh, to me been a, a key insight into the business and in, in my short time in in the business is that new data opens up new ideas, uh, new concepts. A lot of these places have had acquisition or seismic acquisition for 30, 40 years. And it's when you come in with new technologies and new ways of, of trying to acquire this uh, that you can get different concepts and, and ideas that come out of that. And that, that starts the whole new process of, okay, next round of exploration, here we go. And that's uh, it's, uh, really true for Trinidad, that there was a lot of MC activity uh, in the 90s and, and early 2000s, and and it's just been dead. Uh, now there's uh, their their LNG outputs going down. They're looking for new exploration, so there's opportunities. It could be reprocessing, et cetera. But uh, you're starting to see more companies, uh, BHP, BP, Shell, all drilling new wells to try to increase that gas production there. You know, gas is our future, so. Uh, it's it's Trinidad's uh, working towards that. Yeah, especially areas like Trinidad where you have 100-plus years of production in place. You have a lot of legacy infrastructure, so the the cost to get that to an economic point is much lower than being in a rank frontier area for something like that. And it's for that reason that you do, as, as Richie mentioned there, these companies will continue to invest and, and explore there. Yeah, and Barbados is a great place to go visit for oil and gas, so. Yeah, I can imagine. Have you got your uh, Barbadian shirt on? So you had mentioned um, using other G&G um, like technologies in the region. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What exactly we're using? What's exciting to you? Yeah, so a lot of um, we try to think about and we, we interact a lot with our clients trying to understand what are the tools that they need or what are the types of data they need in order to de-risk these positions and decisions. And, you know, historically, 2D Seismic is your, is your frontier tool. Um, you go in, can acquire a regional grid at a relatively economic basis. It allows for large screening, and then you would move on to 3D Seismic uh, to go beyond that. But I think TGS in recent years, um, we've taken an approach of looking and introducing different technologies. So, for example, we've been working with uh, multi-beam and coring data to try to build a larger geochemical database. So we have the geophysical database. Uh, now we're building up the geochemical database, and you integrate that data in, and you're able to update your geologic model. And these are the sort of tools that, that explorers, who are our clients, uh, can then utilize to better de-risk their position in decisions. Yeah, one of, one of the, um, I think both companies, or one company now, that we, is how do we generate derivative products to uh, generate additional revenues off of these, you know, some of the legacy surveys. And I know that uh, we were working on some different potential fields products in, in Latin America. Uh, it's still trying to get traction with with these ENPs or some exploration products. 
um, the, the, you know, then you add in the multi-beam products and things like that. It's really what do the customers need and what will they pay for? And, and we're starting to get, go down that path to find out what's going to work and what won't work. Yep. Um, so, David, you had mentioned Guyana and activity in Brazil. Can we go back to that a little bit? Yeah, I think uh, in part of what we see when, when oil companies are having the type of success they're having in Guyana and testing plate concepts successfully and testing new concepts, we then think about where those analogs might be. And I think one of the, the areas that we think has a lot of untapped potential is equatorial margin Brazil. So we, we're just going further down the coastline, really. And, and one of the, the issues we have is you, you've had some very successful license rounds up there. You've had some seismic shot, and certainly one of our plans is to continue to invest on uh, geophysical data because we feel it's needed. But we need to see some drilling activity, and that's been one of the slowdowns in, in the ability for the Brazil equatorial margin to truly get unlocked is uh, from a permitting point of view, regulatory point of view, it's been a very slow process to get wells permitted and then drilled. Yeah, that to, to move to the next phase, um, we need wells drilled in the equatorial margins. We've been working with the government on that. The government knows that. The oil and gas companies and our customers are working towards that. We understand that uh, there's, there's two two big permits that the industry is watching. It's a, a BP permit and a total permit in, in, in the Amazonas region. We understand those permits are very close. Um, we anticipate seeing a well drilled there next year sometime. Uh, well, let's hope that moves forward. Um, those leases were granted in 2013, so uh, they should be on to the second phase of their uh, of their expiration period, which then uh, they end up dropping some of that acreage, which spurs our activity and sales in the in the data there. We own that area uh, of, of Brazil from uh, French Guiana around the corner to Potigar, and I think we've only seen, seen two or three wells drilled um, since that round, and there's been. A couple of rounds since then, there was 14 and 15 with some scattering of acreage. Um, but to really take advantage, Brazil needs to get these wells drilled. And they know it. They, there's a, a very large push within the government. They, you know, It's a relatively new government uh, administration, and, and they have license rounds that are scheduled out through 2021. Um, We'll see a lot of acreage taken, but again, I go back to we have to have wells drilled, and, and that's what part of our our whole strategy in Brazil with the, with the team we have working there is, is to work on the political side as well. So from what I'm hearing, you're not seeing a lot of investment in uh, the region. How does that impact your own investment in the area? Well, there actually is uh, some investment from TGS coming up in the equatorial margins. Uh, the Pioneer, which is a, a, a BGP vessel that's worked for us for quite some time, it will be mobilizing into the Paramaranhal area of, of Brazil uh, in early November. And we're going to acquire about 10,000 kilometers. It's an infill program of one of the Fugro surveys we picked up. Uh, we're starting to see movement uh, in our uh, in our client base on, in that area. Uh, and that's a sector in round 17 uh, is right in the middle of it. So we'll, uh, we'll acquire this survey. We'll have it uh, processed, be available in probably April of next year. So it, it is a continued investment. It's also an area that, that we see some lookalikes to the Guyana place, uh, the Ranger and, and also Lisa Discoveries. 
it's pretty exciting that uh, that Brazil can uh, can have instead of the salt basins uh, that that is very prolific as we 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 see the opportunity for a whole new uh, oil and gas province to open up. We have a, a consultant named Pedro Zalan that's been doing quite a bit of work up there, and, and he's um, he's working on on a new area there right now that we will be presenting at a, a an exploration seminar that that we have scheduled for. Uh, November 7th here for our uh, new venture customers. So we'll, uh, during that seminar, we'll be uh, showcasing really an Atlantic margin uh, portfolio uh, of projects, and uh, and he'll be speaking at that. So you guys mentioned um, bid rounds in Brazil. Can you explain how these bid rounds work for those of us who are not in the know, such as myself? Yeah, so uh, so Brazil's uh, an interesting place. They actually have uh, a number of different types of, of contracts that they offer up in these bid rounds. So they have what they call concession license rounds. So these are areas that are uh, outside of the, the salt basins. Um, the, back in 2010, Brazil, after having some of these massive pre-salt discoveries, the, the government made a decision to kind of hive off an area that they called the, the pre-salt polygon. And within that area, uh, new acreage opportunities were kind of pushed to the side for the time being. And outside of that is where you could get acreage if you're an outside investor. Um, starting in 20, well, they've they've gone through a multitude of different things, but starting in 2017, uh, there had been a hiatus on rounds and Brazil brought them back in a big way. So the concession license round means an oil company enters into a concession contract where you just pay a royalty fee. Inside of the pre-salt polygon, they offer up what they're called production sharing agreements. And so what companies are actually bidding on is, is profit oil that they would pay to the government. So um, as they move into production, they agree to pay X percentage to, to the government as a result. So it's just different mechanisms by which the government is able to recoup uh, some of their, their resource uh, or, or monetizing their resource, I, sh- I should say. And Brazil's also introduced a, a new thing called the open door policy, so open round. And effectively, uh, like a lot of open door policies, companies can come in, review the, the data, uh, and we have some of this data that we're reworking right now to try and promote that. But then they would put an offer on a block uh, on a given set of minimum, and then if nobody counterbids, then they're able to take that acreage. And what this does, by having these very different round mechanisms out there, you have a multitude of, of companies and players that come there. So for the pre-salt rounds, which are the production-sharing contracts, you tend to have uh, very large IOCs, the international oil companies, uh, some of the larger national oil companies, because these are very capital-intensive investments uh, you need to have a, a big balance sheet and, and a big portfolio and able to do that. On the concession rounds, you'll see the same mix of players, but you also introduce uh, some of the more independent uh, companies, so a little bit smaller, more exploration-focused, and they're able to get some of the, the acreage that's away from the salt basins, so a little bit uh, lower value point in terms of getting acreage access. And if they're able to work that up and, and do it in a way that is accretive to their portfolio, and with the open-door policy, I think Brazil is really trying to push to even another tier of players uh, to bring smaller companies, both local Brazilian companies and international companies, to help diversify the mix of, of players that you have in, in the place. And so for a company like ourselves, we try to provide data that's going to target all, all three of these. And having a larger client mix is always a good thing. It allows us to take more risk and allows us to uh, feel comfortable taking that risk because there's more need for the data products that we create. Yeah, and it's encouraging that we're seeing uh, new entrants into Brazil. 
And just recently, and within the last quarter, we've seen uh, seen two new companies come in to license data that that are currently not players in in Brazil. That that is very positive compared to some other uh, other areas in the world. But they're looking for these smaller opportunities, like David said, on the these permanent round blocks. And we have every permanent round block is covered by some sort of TGS data, legacy data. Yeah, some of the new data that, that we've acquired, and it's extremely positive. They, they're coming to us. There's nowhere else to go to right now. Uh, we're working this data where we have a G&G group uh, in the Houston office here and, and also over in Woking that, that help with um, identifying leads on this data that help us push out to clients. So a traditional way of just selling the data in a, um, a line-by-line basis based on the line quality, the data quality, we're taking that a step forward and, and developing leads by a group of expirationists. These are people that have worked with oil and gas companies, understand what oil and gas companies are looking for, uh, and that's what we're being that's what we're pushing out to market right now. I think one of the the interesting things that we see on that front historically uh, for these sort of G and G value add products, um, the the client mix for that are tend to not be the the super major clients. They have their own internal staff that will work and do that. It's kind of into their their value point, uh, but it's typically made for companies, smaller companies that may not have the resource for that sort of staffing, or certainly some of the national oil companies who uh, like to have different viewpoints and perspectives. But I think what we see now in today's world even the super major clients see value in what we're providing there. And I think a lot of that is kind of based on the quality of, of the, the staff we have and, and the work effort that's being put there. So it's, uh, it's certainly helped us to better understand what our client needs are, the way they're kind of thinking about problems and allowing us to better address those problems uh, in a way. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's also on the investment side. We're, we're seeing new ideas based on, on the data that's being interpreted that helps us develop more programs and, and make those investments uh, that we have planned over the next few years in Brazil. Brazil's open for business, and we're, we're going to hit it in a, in a big way. Uh, we, speaking of the rounds, on, on round 17, uh, we've just completed a, uh, a Podogar 3D survey. Uh, it's about 10,000 kilometers. And there's in round 17, which will be next year, there's about 4,000 kilometers of that that's over open acreage. Uh, that we're seeing companies that are they're interested in that it's it's going to provide that that opportunity f- for the industry really and, and we're not seeing that much in Brazil but they're going to have 3D prior to the rounds uh, versus uh, the just the 2D uh, portfolio. Yeah, I think that was one of the things that uh, that we've tried to do is I mean as a as a geophysical contractor we want to make sure we can provide the best quality data ahead of a round and for this upcoming round 16 which is less than two weeks away at this stage, uh, we were able to get out there and get 3D data ahead of the round for both Campos Basin and Santos Basin. And these have proven to be very uh, well received by industry. These are the type of products that helps them de-risk major decisions. I mean, when we talk about Campos Basin, one of the blocks that's on offer there, the minimum signature bonus, so this is what an oil company is going to be obligated to pay at a bare minimum, is $350 million for one block. And so to have the seismic that's going to de-risk that structure and allow them to better understand what the real potential is there, it's a, it's a huge benefit. So we're, we're happy to be able to provide that. So you had talked about the different GNG data products that we're like offering. Um, aside from the 2D and the 3D seismic, can you talk a little bit 
about what else? Um, yeah, so we, we've been offering, uh, we've touched on some of the derivatives that you receive off of the, the 2D and 3D. So work effort that happens beyond that uh, can be something as simple as an interpretation, uh, can be different kind of attribute work, um, different sort of packages that we can customize for whatever the client needs are. Uh, integrating different data types. So TGS, I mean, obviously the, the Wells business is a huge piece for us. So this is where we would go into a given country, uh, get access to their well database. Uh, a lot of times this data is, is very old. It's very spotty. Uh, it needs a lot of cleanup. So we've kind of honed that process down where we're able to take these well logs, uh, clean them up, make them interpretable, integrate them into packages that our clients are able to access. Um, on the geochemical side, we've been doing a lot of work effort with uh, these large-scale multi-beam projects. Uh, as an example, in Mexico, when that market opened up, we acquired uh, multi-beam over 600,000 square kilometers of offshore Mexico, so effectively covering everything. And utilizing that data, we're then able to high-grade uh, coring locations, so piston cores, uh, something that oil companies have done from, for a very long time, for 50-plus years. But by using this technology of the high-res multi-beam data, we're able to better high-grade where to take these cores to help find the right sort of areas to, to try to find hydrocarbon samples on the seafloor. And, and what we found is a very high success rate there, and you're able to correlate that back. And so for oil companies, when they're trying to do their, their basin modeling and understand where they need to be thinking about, these are the type of data sets they can integrate in with our regional seismic or 3D seismic and better de-risk the play. No, it's it's what what do our customers need, and that that was one of the uh, the items on the multi beam that, that came back, and it, and it's it's working with our our core key customers to understand what they need and what else we can provide, and the industry's changing that way, and it's real positive. You put the two companies together, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of geographic space to to put together products. In our last episode, we actually talked about multi beam. So we had a whole episode on that. So good. Well, then they've dove. They know a lot more about it than uh, than I do, which is uh, which is a good thing because that way they can go focus on that. Uh. Yeah. When I listened to it, I learned a lot more about multi beam. So. No, but I think it's uh, well, one of the things is it's taking old technologies, and and applying them in a new way. Uh, it's just like reprocessing data, which is a big part of our our business is. When you have legacy data, so data that might have been acquired in the 90s and the 1980s, uh, even more recent vintages, a lot of times the, the processing flow and the algorithms that were used to try to create an image were, were very antiquated, either by a limitation on compute or for just the limitation in the code. But even taking legacy data and applying today's technology on it, we're able to see significant uplift. And, and a lot of times we'll go and capture that data and try to uplift that data to help complement in what we're doing from a new data acquisition point of view. And it helps us better uh, set the parameters on this new acquisition to ensure that geophysically we're going to address the geologic problems in that area. Yeah, Im- imaging technology is, is um, we try to keep up with it. On with The acquisition is not changing a lot, but uh, imaging technology ch- changes day to day. It's really breakthrough. Uh, technology that's coming through and, and helping you know, the ENPs discover more resources and and it's a big part of TGS is, is moving that uh, imaging into the next uh, the next phase and I think we've seen in 
you know, you can take data sets that were acquired five years ago and, and processed with the latest and greatest five years ago and applying the technologies today. And, and we'll talk specifically about uh, technologies like full waveform inversion uh, to help better uh, resolve the velocity field. And you see a significant upgrade in that image quality. Uh, it's, it's probably tantamount to the photo quality I have on my iPhone 11 compared to on my original, you know, iPhone 3, if they even had that name back then. I mean, it's uh, it's incredible resolution and detail. And it's those sort of upgrades and insights that allow people to think about uh, different plays and different concepts in ways that uh, we need to be moving the needle. Yeah, it's a big part of our business is, is we have to have refreshed data ready when the opportunity arises, whether it's a discovery, uh, well, there's a discovery that spurs is a is a good tar- uh, trigger on 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 sales of data, and and then uh, for license rounds, sometimes they surprise us some of these governments, and if we don't have that the data ready and it's been reprocessed with the latest technology, we may miss. So it, it's our job to identify what we think will will uh, be the surveys that we need to upgrade. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think it's uh, when you when you mentioned that thinking about the license rounds get sprung up on us. It's Brazil uh, for this round sixteen that's upcoming here in two weeks' time. Uh, when we were talking about trying to get three D data ahead of the round, uh, that was certainly one of the big challenges we had was how can we under this limited time frame and the way that this round has been earmarked, how can we get out there with a vessel, acquire the data, process the data, get a workable product to the client base. And it puts a, a lot of pressure on us uh, to come up with creative solutions. But I think in most of these instances, we've been able to, uh, luckily enough, stay ahead. So it sounds like one of the challenges is predicting where the next big play is going to be. Uh, what about the Santos Campos? Well, I think, you know, that's a great question because back, uh, geez, it's been two years ago now, we, we, made, we took the risk to move offshore into the outside the EEZ or the the Brazilian um, economic zone uh, which was out at that point it still is at 200 miles um, we started acquiring a survey and 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 with TGS we we partnered uh, saw the opportunity and it's a new play very similar to what's inbound on on Santos uh, but some of the some of the data we're seeing already and some of the experts that are working that they think it can be just as big as what's already been discovered in the Santos Basin. So we're we're talking 30 to 50 billion barrels. It's a big number to, to even throw out there because people will, will, will uh, disagree with you. But we've, we've made an investment already. We've acquired 7,000 kilometers, 8,000 kilometers. Um, we're going to go ahead and pick up the rest of that uh, later this year. Um, it's a big risk. Um, but I think there's a, a very big reward for TGS uh, and, and also our customers because we're going to provide that data, 3D data, instead of 2D data before the rounds. Uh, and we're hearing that that, that EZ, the rounds, a uh, good chance they'll be offered in, in round 18, which will be in 2021, which gives us a good time to, plenty of time to get the data processed and out and for the, the customers to interpret it. Uh, and have it ready for the round. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, it, it is true. It, it is risk, but I think it's calculated risk. I mean, when 
just talking about the the unclose process. So this is the process by which a company can extend out their current exclusive economic zone. Brazil was the second country to apply for that uh, back in 2004. So these things take time. But certainly I think what, what we saw uh, as we looked at that area is there's great momentum. The government realizes there's good resource potential there. Technically, it makes sense to extend this out. Um, and you're getting all the right stakeholders in place, both with the UN, uh, with the Navy, with the A&P, with the government, to, to see this move forward. And so, yes, it was a risk. It was a calculated risk. Um, but I think it's the, certainly going to prove to be the, the right decision. We're already seeing that, uh, I think, kind of pay out in itself. That, yeah, that's right. And, we, and, and Argentina, they've, they've been granted the rights, and Uruguay's been uh, granted the rights. There's a few little areas in Brazil they're still working on in New York. You know, ironically, Pedro Zalan, who we, who we mentioned earlier, is working with the U.N. and, and the Brazilian government on that. Our country manager, uh, Joao Correa, has been very involved in, in this whole process with a couple of the universities. We're, we're the only ones that have data that, that show the prospectivity uh, outside the 200 miles. And, and we're using that and, and, and helping the government move forward. And we expect uh, some very big results, uh, not only out of the expiration, but also out of uh, for TGS on the, on the data sales. Yeah, and I think that this is the this is part of the positioning, right? Is that we want to be viewed as as um, allies to the governments, and and we're trying to help them promote their areas, as we're trying to help our clients uh, promote their own interests, and so it it becomes a mutually beneficial relationship amongst all three. And so this has been the a key strategy for for TGS and Spectrum, and now we're bringing those uh, strengths together. Yeah, yeah, we it's a footprint that we're putting together that I. With when all said and done, we'll probably end up with about forty to fifty thousand square kilometers. It's continuous. Um, it's a it's a must um, be basin. We have to be in Santos and Campos, uh, similar to some of the large basins in in uh, in the U.S. Uh, onshore with the shale markets. They're the hottest basins in the world right now, and TGS is in in all of them. So. Yeah, we hope to. Continue that, and, and I don't see any reason why we, we won't be able to keep moving that ball forward. Well, guys, it sounds like uh, you have a lot of work ahead of you, and we're definitely very excited about um, the value that the Spectrum acquisition has added to our data libraries. So very glad you guys could be with us today. I appreciate it. it was, um, it's going to be a fun group to work with. The, um, the, it was a lot of su- success with this library, you know, not only in Latin America, but in Africa and other areas of the world that, that we've added to. Uh, but it was it's a top-down approach that, uh, you know, the support, getting the financing to do some of these projects, the processing groups, uh, the finance groups. you got to invoice this. Everybody's touching it, everybody in the office. The, you've got the, the IT groups and the computer centers. It's Everybody's working on this together, and it made it successful. So it's, uh, it's now to capitalize on the opportunities moving forward. And I think that it's a it's a huge benefit to TGS to be bringing in this this established Spectrum team. I mean, these guys have proven track record, and we're creating, I think, one of the strongest teams in industry. I think we could be uh, Dallas Cowboys-like, probably mid-'90s Cowboys on that Super Bowl run. I think it's probably where we'll end up being. Uh, we'll see what happens this year. All right. Thanks, guys. Go Cowboys.